Well, this is the last week in our Staying in Love series, and I hope that you've learned one thing in this series, that even if you're not in a serious relationship right now, maybe you don't even expect to be in one at any point in, uh, in the near future, I hope that you've seen how relevant the truth of God's word is to our lives. And I hope, um, you know, no matter what your circumstances, it really doesn't matter, uh, God's, always got, God's truth is always the best answer to the most important questions in our life because it reveals truth about who he is. And when that's our foundation, when he's our foundation and our lives get centered on him, it gives us a, a solid place in which we can begin to make decisions and understand things in our lives. And then Jesus has this awesome thing that he does whenever we come in, we experience or we hear God's truth, whether we're in God's presence on our own or whether we're gathered together as a spiritual family, he invites us to come into relationship with him and to, become, and to be transformed so that we can become like him in the relationships in our life. And the Bible is just so relevant, and I hope that you've taken that away. I hope you'll begin to search God's word on your own, and I hope that you'll come every week that you can into small groups and here to church so that God's word can do a work of transformation in you as well. Today we're going to talk about a choice that you make every day as it relates to your marriage or, or to your love interests. It's a choice that you might not be aware of, but hopefully by the end of the day today you'll be very aware of it. But first I want to review where we've been over the course of this month. The question that started us, started us off was, can two people stay in love forever? Well, if we looked at the culture, if we looked at the world today, we might be tempted to say, no, that can't happen. But Jesus said it is possible if those two people are willing to make love a verb. It's not a noun. Love isn't just something we fall into. Love is a verb. It's an action. It's something that we do. We love. Jesus said, love one another. And then we looked at Jesus' model for how to love each other. And Jesus' model was mutual submission, the word that no one in our world likes today. But this idea of mutual submission, submitting to one another. And if we're both willing to do that, we talked about it this way, if we're both willing to race for second place in the relationship, if we're both willing to race towards the other person's needs ahead of our own, then when we do that, it might just be possible, Jesus said, for us to stay in love for a lifetime. And then last week we said that all of that would be a whole lot easier if we came into relationship with our hearts just full and overflowing with good stuff, right? But most of us uh, don't come into our marriage or into our relationship that way. You're saying, yeah, we're full of something, but it's, it's not always good stuff. We're full of wounds and insecurities and hurts, and we all have different junk that we bring into the relationship. So last week we were introduced to Mr. and Mrs. Mug, and we discovered the importance of watching over our hearts, guarding our hearts, watching over our hearts. Because when we do that, we, we're aware of some of the stuff that was in us before we even were married, and we're aware that that stuff is going to come out of us so we need to watch our hearts and be attentive to what it is that we're feeling, what's going on inside of us, so that it doesn't have to spill out in a, in a way that we don't want to over those who we love. And so today, as we close this out, I want to talk about a decision, this decision that each of us make if we're in a love relationship every day. We make it on a constant basis. It's sort of a, a multiple choice answer, really, based on the circumstance that you might find yourself in on any given day. Because the way that you approach this choice, the kind of habit that you form related to this choice will have a big impact on your ability to stay in love. 
So I want to get started this morning and have you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a chapter that many of you have heard of. Maybe you've heard it read in a wedding ceremony. Maybe you've heard the words of 1 Corinthians 13 sung in different songs because it's made in, uh, it been, been written into many songs. Or it's quite possible that maybe you have a cross stitch hanging up in your home that was from your grandmother and it has the words of these things, of this chapter written onto it or stitched into it. And some of you have probably heard about this chapter uh, who knows what 1 Corinthians 13 is called by Christians? What do we call this chapter? The love chapter. That's right. It's the love chapter. So what I want to do is this. I'm just going to focus on a portion of it today. We're going to just kind of zoom in on 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. And here's why. Most of 1 Corinthians is common for us to hear. Most of 1 Corinthians 13, I should say, is common for us to hear. It's something we've heard many, many times before. And sometimes when there's something that we've heard so many times and we just read through all of it again, we miss the meaning of it. So I want to zoom in and I want to touch on something that's really important today. When you hear 1 Corinthians 13, as you go down through the different descriptions of love, we're tempted to say, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I can see why that would be important. Yeah, I do that okay. Boy, I need to trust God more with that. Like, as we kind of think through the different aspects, thanks for that reminder. But there's one verse in the passage that we're going to look at today that Paul says something really key that I think will challenge us and it will also help us be able to stay in love for a lifetime. So I want to start with 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. It says this, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. And these are all pretty big statements. And they're all compacted into a few verses here. So I, I want you to just think about each one. Love is patient. It's kind. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't boast. Love is not proud. Love doesn't dishonor. Love is not self-seeking. And it's not easily angered. Wow, what a great picture. What a great picture of what love looks like. Then Paul says this, he moves on, he says, love keeps no record of wrongs. And we go, oh, hold on a second. Not sure if I like that when all the others felt really poetic and kind of moved through and they were positive that it keeps no record of wrongs. How many of you are pretty good at keeping no record of wrongs? Okay, I'm glad there aren't a lot of hands there. If you are, you must have some form of dementia or you're losing your ability to remember because there just aren't too many of us who are very good at that one. You don't have to be married to appreciate this one. Remember, maybe when you were a kid, you remember a time when your parents were fighting or having an argument and your mom, she opened up the file drawer in her mind and she said to your dad, do you remember back in April of 1985 when you, and you were so stunned by that because you probably weren't even born in April of 85 if you're hearing that conversation. Anyway, you're hearing that conversation and you're like, man, you realized your mom was keeping score. And you thought, mom, you should teach history with that kind of memory. My dad used to kind of share this as a joke, but it was actually good advice. He said, when you get in a fight with your wife, try not to get hysterical when she gets historical. That, that always stuck with me. It's amazing how much both men and women, it's men too who do this, can remember when it comes to things that have hurt us. It's amazing how those things get seared in our mind, and we can remember the date, and we can remember the moment. 
Love keeps no records of wrongs. No records of wrongs. We like it, but we're not always very good at it. But even with that one, so far as we work through the, the passage, we say, yeah, I agree. I probably need to allow God to do some work in my love life in the way that I love. And then we continue on into verse 6. It says this, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So there's a lot packed in this one little, couple little phrases here. Paul says it doesn't delight, love doesn't delight in evil, it rejoices in the truth. And in other words, we ought to celebrate the good in our spouse, which is a little bit different than rubbing it in when they make a mistake. It's, it's a different approach. True love never takes pleasure in pointing out the shortcomings of those who we love. It doesn't take pleasure in pointing out where they come up short. It celebrates what's true. It celebrates what's good in them. And this is all pretty good advice, but it's really challenging to love like this, isn't it? I mean, if you inserted your name in there instead of the word love, I just want you to kind of think through this and try this in your mind. Ready? Rick is patient. Rick is kind. Now you do it. Don't think about me. All right? You put your name, George, your own name, George. All right. Just work through it in your mind. I'm serious. Think about your name and start to say down, walk down through this passage. You know, if we made a little quiz out of it, how would you do? How true would those statements feel right now as they were coming out of your mouth if you personalized them? So I think that's why Paul pauses and he does something important that would be really easy for us to just skip over if we were just glancing through this passage because there are a lot of things that are listed as we walk through this passage. And sometimes we get into this next part and it just feels like we're coming down the home stretch and we just run through this next part in verse 7. Here's what Paul says. He connects four items in verse 7 and he does this to make one point. Paul uses this little Greek word there. The Greek word is pas which means all or it means every. And he connects one idea again together by saying it over and over. He does this on purpose in order to say love can do something extraordinary in every situation, in every situation, in every relationship. This applies. So Paul says in verse 7, love always protects. Love always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Always, 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 always. Pause, 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 pause. Love always protects another person from embarrassment. Love always trusts. It always takes that person at their word. Love always hopes, sees what could be. Love always perseveres. Love always patiently, patiently waits for what could be. And this all connects to this single idea, an idea that we might be a little bit uncomfortable with because Paul uses this little Greek word that means always. And what makes this uncomfortable for us? Well... Let's just pick one of them as an example. Let's pick always trust. What happens when you read the phrase, love always trusts? And so you put your name in there, Rick always trusts. You think, well, I mean, up to this point, I probably agreed with all of the love descriptors that Paul mentions here. Maybe I feel like I did, I do all of those things some of the time. Does anybody feel that way? Like if you put your name in there and you were reading down through the list, you're like, yeah, I do I do most of those things some of the time. Not always, but some of the time. And then we get to this little Greek word that Paul uses over and over again four times. Always, 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 always. And you're like, really, Paul? I mean, always. Trust, trust is good in a relationship, but always? 
So I'm just supposed to be in a relationship and say, yeah, whatever. I'll just trust. I'll trust them regardless. When you pull that one out by itself, sometimes it's kind of like, I don't know. Isn't that what codependent people do? They just trust each other all the time? Isn't that kind of unhealthy? I mean, have you ever told somebody in a relationship, hey, I think you need to stop believing everything that he or she is saying to you. I think you need to stop being so gullible in this relationship. The, the Apostle Paul is communicating an invaluable principle here, and he, he does it simply by using this word, this choice that we need to make in the context of any loving relationship if we want to have a love that lasts forever. Now, what I want to do for the next couple of minutes is I want to unpack what the Apostle Paul is getting at, and then we can revisit verse 7 again and hear it through this new grid. We can go back to these four always, and maybe we can hear it through different, or see it through different lenses. In every relationship, at some point along the way, there is a gap between our expectations, what we expect, and how the people that we love behave. There's a gap between our expectations and, and how they behave. In every relationship, there's a gap at some point. You know, I expected you to do this. That was my expectation, but actually, you did this. So in every relationship, there are unexplainable gaps between what we expect our spouse or our partner to do and what they actually do. And you get this, right? We've all experienced this. You said that you'd be home by 4, and it's 4.30, and you're not here. There's a gap, right? There's a gap. You said from now on you'd do these chores, and those chores have gone undone. You promised that you would make that call, and you still haven't made that call. You said that you would never do that again, and now you're doing that again. At some point in every love relationship, really in every relationship, but especially, especially in romantic relationships, there's going to be a, a gap between what is promised, that what it is that we expect, and then what actually happens. Whether it's you, what you said when you were dating, you spoke words, you made a promise, or what you said in your wedding vows, or what you committed to do on some normal average day, in the everyday life kind of stuff. For instance, you said you could pick up the kids on Wednesdays, but every Wednesday you call me and ask me to pick them up. But you said you were going to do that. It can be deep, it can be shallow, it can be specific, it can be general. But in every love, romantic relationship, at some point, there are going to be gaps between what we expect and what actually happens in that relationship. And some of them are unspoken expectations, maybe based on what your mom did or was supposed to do. You might feel like, well, my mom always picked up my clothes and folded my laundry for me. Or maybe what dad did. Why can't you fix the car? My dad always made sure the cars were fixed. Or maybe it was the other way around. Maybe your mom fixed the cars and your dad did the laundry. I don't know how it worked. But they're expectations that you have. And there's a gap. Now, do you know what we all do with that gap? We fill it. We tell ourselves a story in order to understand it. We make a choice about what we're going to believe in those moments. We either do one of two things. We either believe the best, right? Or, this is a tough flip for me with one hand. Or we assume the worst. We believe the best or we assume the worst. That's what we do. So that's where what we put in the gap every single time. 
Now, some of you are already thinking about this. You're already thinking about what your spouse does. This whole conversation that I've begun with you is not focused on you. <laughs> it's focused on you like, oh, yeah, I've experienced that. There is a gap with my spouse between my <laughs> expectation and how they behave. I just want to encourage you. Let's do our best in these next couple moments to not just focus on the gap in our spouse's behavior, but also to think about our own hearts. So we fill in the gap. Do you know what you do? How do you fill in the gap? Because the choice that you make to fill in the gap, it's not always something that you actually say or even directly think in the front of your mind. I mean, maybe eventually you say it louder than you should. But what we often do in our minds, or maybe we think this, maybe we even articulate it, we say no problem, but what we really mean is it's a big problem. Under our breath, we whisper, there she goes again, or there he goes again. There's a gap. Or we fill in the best, and we say to ourselves, well, he probably just got distracted, or she probably just didn't know, and we show a little grace. The point is this, in every relationship, we fill in the gap between these two things, between expectation and between behavior. Expectation. He said he'd be home at 5 tonight, and it's 5.02. The kids are screaming. We have to be somewhere by 6 o'clock. This is a factual observation that you are making. It is very accurate. But immediately, you start telling yourself a story to fill in the gap. And depending on how we fill in the gap, and this is why this is so important, it's going to determine how we fill in this gap is going to determine how loving our behavior is. Remember when we said this in week one, we said we need to make love a verb. Love has to be an action. What kind of action we take depends on, are you ready for this? It depends on, here's what Paul is saying. Our action depends on how we choose to fill in the gap. Either we believe the best, if we believe the best, we might say, you know, he's late. Well, he probably stopped at the store Maybe he got caught by his boss on the way out. His boss always, he tells me, always catches him when he's on his way out the door. Maybe traffic was bad. I know he really wanted to be here on time. I'm sure he just couldn't make it happen tonight. Or we assume the worst. He's late again. He's probably having such a good time at work I know how much he loves those guys he works with. They're probably there with, the, he's there with his buddies just hanging out. They're all laughing together. He has no idea what time it is. While I'm here trying to take care of the kids, get them ready, try to make dinner, while they're asking me a ton of questions about homework and all kinds of stuff, just wait till he gets home. He doesn't really care about us at all. I know he doesn't care. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about our family. He doesn't care about us getting there on time. He doesn't care about anything. He is surly, that guy. Just wait till he gets home. We fill in the gap. How about this one? Maybe you recognize this one. She said that she was just using her $10 in Kohl's cash. <laughs> but she's coming out of Kohl's with four giant bags. You can either, in this case, you can either believe the best and you can say she probably found some really good deals for the kids. Or maybe she brought home some better shoes because she knows that mine have duct tape on the bottom of them. We can believe the best, right? Or 
we always have this opportunity to fill in the gap. We have the opportunity to assume the worst. I didn't know you could get four bags of clothes for $10, honey. <laughs> there she goes again, buying stuff that we don't really need. Well, I guess we're not going out for dinner tonight. I was hoping for steak or seafood, surf and turf tonight. You assume the worst. Okay, you get it, right? It doesn't matter what the scenario is. We all do this. We're in our minds, we fill in the gap, and then it comes out in our behavior. It comes out in the way that we love. And you probably don't even know you're doing it most of the time because it happens so fast. But you know what's going on? Do you even know that you're making that choice in that moment? Do you know what is really going on in your heart? Because Paul says, if you want to stay in love, you should always know what's happening in your heart. Because love always trusts, always protects, always hopes, always perseveres. So I want to dive just a little bit deeper into this this morning. There are two things that are impacting your choice, two things that make believing the best so challenging. And this isn't in your outline this morning, so you can just follow along and think through this for a minute. What I see or expect and what has shaped me. So what I see or expect, this is what you see. He's late again. She's spending again. I thought that he was going to do this. Why doesn't she do that? You see something, but you expect something to be different. And those often unclear, unspoken expectations are impacting your ability to believe the best. And so you're telling yourself a story about why they're doing what they're doing. That's the first thing, what you see or expect. The second thing is what has shaped you. This impacts you in a large way. We talked about this last week when we were introduced to Mr. and Mrs. Mug. We all have beads in us. We all have stuff in us that has shaped us, that has hurt us, that dinged up our heart a little bit. And so we come into the relationship with a dinged up heart. Your mom or dad's relationship with each other, or maybe your mom and dad's relationship with you has affected you. Maybe it has infected your heart in some way. And it doesn't take long for us to react to what someone has done because it feels similar to what someone else did to us, a hurt or an insecurity that we had had at some point in our lives. For example... Maybe you always felt like you had to perform in your family of origin when you were growing up in order for you to, be, to feel valuable. And now, when your spouse comes home and they speak highly about someone else, there's this big wave of insecurity that comes over you because it feels like you feel those same things you felt when you were growing up. And then all of a sudden you get angry or you say something that's not really kind or appropriate. And the story in your heart has something to do with your spouse celebrating someone else and you instantly feel like they're critiquing you or calling you less than and you react and they're like, whoa, I wasn't saying that at all. But they're just shocked at your response. You filled in the gap from your experience, from your pain, from your fear, from whatever circumstance you had experienced. What you expect and what shaped you is impacting how loving your behavior is and it determines what sign you hold up. It determines whether you're able to believe the best or whether you're forced to assume the worst. And so here's the question for you this morning. Which sign do you lean towards? What's your default? All, it's all based on things that have shaped you. It's all based on your expectations. But what do you lean towards? Believing the best? 
or assuming the worst. You call on your way home and ask your spouse what the plan for dinner is tonight, and your spouse says, there is no plan because I got caught up in other stuff. What sign comes up right away? What sign do you hold up? Some of you are probably thinking, yeah, but you don't know my spouse. Let me come up there right now, and I'll talk about my spouse. Then we'll get a real sermon. You can put your dumb little signs away, Rick. (laughs) You don't know what's going on in my life. (laughs) You think, I just need to hear your sad story. And listen, I'm not saying this to be harsh in any way. I know you have a sad story. And you aren't the only one in this room who has a sad story. As a matter of fact, every one of us in this room has a sad story in one way or another. Almost all of us have been touched in some way by pain. We feel insecurity. We have hurt. It comes out in our relationships. There's not a person in this room who hasn't experienced that. So here's the question that I've learned to ask myself. In my relationship, in my love relationship, do I want to continue to play the part of the victim and stay stuck? Or do I want to do my part so that we can stay in love? And that's my choice. Am I going to believe the best? Or am I going to assume the worst? Because if you want to stay in love and you really need to get a hold of this this morning, this is going to make a big impact on your relationship. Where does your mind go when someone comes up short of your expectation? Someone you love. Where does your mind go? Here's why this is so important, because Paul is right. Paul says people who stay in love, people who have really great relationships in their lives, they make this choice. They refuse to live by default. They're going to make a choice about how they're going to fill in this gap, and they're going to make this choice ahead of time, and they're going to live by it. Regardless of the circumstances, they learn to believe the best. Couples that stay in love, they still have gaps. It's just that they choose a generous explanation to fill that gap. It's what they choose. In great relationships, both parties go to ridiculous lengths in order to believe the best. Marcus Buckingham, maybe you've heard him speak or you've read one of his books before. He's a great writer. He does a lot of studying of people. And he wrote a book entitled, One Thing That You Need to Know. And he shared this study in the book that they had done. He cites a study that found happy couples that had been together for 10 years or more. And the assumption was that they would find happy couples, they would find in these happy couples the opposite of what was found in unhappy couples. Since past research showed that unhappy couples didn't really understand each other very well. And the assumption was that in strong marriages, the spouses would have a deep understanding of each other. And they would have realistic expectations if they were a happy couple. But guess what? They discovered the opposite they discovered they actually had very unrealistic views of each other, just in a different way than they expected. In their study of happy couples, husbands and wives rated their partners more positively in every quality than their partners rated themselves. They saw their spouses in a better light than their spouse saw themselves in happy couples. Their conclusion, happy couples are a little blind to their spouse's deficiencies. That was the conclusion of the study. So this was Buckingham's observation, and I have this in your outline this morning. A spouse's positive illusions created an upward spiral of love in the relationship. The illusion created a conviction. The conviction led to security. Security fostered intimacy, and the intimacy fostered love. 
So what can we learn? A husband who assumes that his wife possesses strengths that she doesn't think she possesses will have a strong marriage. A wife who assumes that her husband possesses strengths that he doesn't think he possesses will have a strong marriage. And here was their advice. Find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and believe it. Find the most generous explanation for your spouse's behavior and believe it. To stay in love, you must choose to believe the best. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Believe in them. You know, there's something that most people tend to do at funerals that may be a good practice for us while they're still alive. I want you to think about this for a moment. At funerals, especially if it's someone we love who is close to us and we want to honor them, what we tend to do is recast weaknesses as strengths. We see the good side of even the bad things in their life. We believe the worst. We believe the best instead of assuming the worst. Let me give you an example. Maybe you love someone or were close to someone who was often impatient or pushy, but when it comes to memorializing them, you say she was determined and she persevered. At a funeral, funeral, you might know someone who was a workaholic, but oftentimes you'll hear family members say things like this, he did the best he knew how to provide for his family. He did the best he knew how. We say things like that in order to honor people, to memorialize them, to believe the best about them. But this is the question I want to ask you this morning. Why wait until they're dead? I want you to think about it. Why wait until they're dead to believe the best about them? Why wait to make those statements and affirm them and believe in them? Guess what? They're already in the grave. They don't have the freedom. You are not giving them the belief and the freedom at that point to expand and grow, to be believed in, to see something in themselves that maybe they couldn't see unless you believed it about them. So here's my question. How do you love? Do you believe the best or do you assume the worst? Do you immediately go negative? Even if it's just internally? Listen, if you go negative, this is important for you to hear when you go negative, you think you're trying to help the relationship, but the truth is you are only undermining the relationship. You're only undermining the growth, the potential growth of your spouse. And that's the decision that you're making. And you might be, Rick, but he, but she, I know that you have a story. We all have a story. But when you choose not to always protect, when you choose not to always trust, not to always hope, not to always persevere, you undermine your relationship regardless of what he or she has done, regardless of his or her history. You're just aiding your partner in hurting your relationship. In fact, you're actually participating in the cycle of destruction. When you assume the worst, they assume the worst or they just avoid you because they know that you're assuming the worst and the cycle goes on and on and on and you know it's destroying your relationship. And you think that you're winning the war but you're actually losing the most important relationship in your life. And when that happens and you're in that cycle 
every one of you in the room who's been in that cycle or you're in that cycle right now, you know it. It kills you on the inside. When the person that you love the most, you're in this cycle of assuming the worst of each other. It's just a terrible place to be. See, Paul got it right. He said, love always protects, always trusts. It always hopes, it always perseveres. And Paul ends with this sentence in verse 8. He says, love never fails. He looked for a generous explanation. It always hopes. Paul said, let's err on the positive. It always perseveres. Love is determined to see good. And when we commit to put love into action like that, that kind of love never fails. It never fails. In other words, this is how you stay in love. This is what God's love looks like when channeled through people. It has this always component to it. Because God is an always kind of God. Listen, this might be hard for you to believe, but your spouse does not want to disappoint you. They don't. They're going to fail. But a spouse who is trying to love you on any level, they're just human. And you need to give them room to be imperfect and still be loved. You need to give them room to be imperfect and still experience your love. But if he or she doesn't think they're ever going to be able to please you, they're never going to be able to live up to your standards, they will give up. And you will be justified in your complaints and you will be right, but intimacy in your relationship will be over. But when you believe the best, you give them room to take responsibility for their actions without some form of reprisal from you. And that subtle difference is so, so powerful. I want you to hear this this morning. Your heart and my heart are drawn towards acceptance. We're drawn towards places where we feel accepted. There is not a person in this room who isn't drawn towards that. And that's the kind of love that Jesus modeled for us. The gospel of Jesus isn't, hey, change, and then I'll accept you. The gospel of Jesus is, I accept and loved you, love you so that you can change, right? That's grace. Do you want to change your relationship? Follow God's example. Scripture says it so many different ways, so clearly. We only can love God because why? He first loved us. We can only accept God for those of you who have accepted Jesus into your heart, that thing that we say, we can only accept God. Why? Because he first accepted us. It's the way that God loves. Go first. Love your spouse by believing the best in them. You be first. And you'll short-circuit the destructive cycle that you've been in. Acceptance opens us up to each other. It does. When we're accepted first, it inspires us to show up it inspires us to own our own stuff because it's safe to still be loved there. Even if we feel like we're a mess, we feel like it's okay to be loved here. And when I know that my spouse believes the best, even when I mess up, I'm drawn to them instead of feeling pushed away from them. And when you and I, when your spouse knows that you believe the best about them, then we grow in love for each other. And the only way that you'll learn this is if you learn how to lean into God's love for you. He loves you. He accepts you even though you don't deserve it. That's amazing. God thinks of you and I generously. 
He believes the best for us. He knows who you are. He knows what you've done. He knows what you will do. He knows all of it. He knows your history, and he still believes the best about us. So this is an opportunity for us to learn how to lean into him, how to follow his example, and how to love like him. Now listen, so much of this can sound idealistic, and you and I live in a real world, and we know that relationships are messy. But here's what I want to ask you. Will you take the risk to believe the best about the person that you're married to? Believe the best about the person that you're loved. And sometimes find out that the best isn't what actually happens. This is a risk. So, when you discover that your optimism was not founded on reality, in that moment, you're going to have a choice. What happens when you believe the best instead of assuming the worst, and then you find out that it was the worst? In those moments, you have a choice. And whenever you have that choice, I hope, I hope that you'll lean into God and that you'll allow him to help you work it out through his love and in a spirit of grace. And I want you to hear this this morning because that's exactly what God chooses to do with you. He constantly believes the best about you. And oftentimes, what he experiences or what happens is the worst. And he leans in with his grace. And he reminds you that you're still accepted and you're still loved. Can two people fall in love and stay in love forever? They can if they make love a verb. If they're willing to mutually submit. If they're willing to keep watch over their hearts. If they're willing to believe the best and refuse to assume the worst. So I want to ask you this morning, what is the prayer that you need to pray? What do you need to ask God to do in your heart so that you can believe the best about your spouse? I just want you to stay there for just a moment. Just think about that. And if you take a minute and write that on your card today, we'll pray that prayer with you. You can always write any prayer request on your card. But if you have a specific request, what you need to ask God to do in your heart so that you can believe the best about your spouse. Write that down. We'll pray with you today. And I want to encourage you with two other practical ways that you can respond, two other practical applications. The first is there's a final homework card in your uh, worship guide today. You can pull that out. It's a good one. If you're married, I'd encourage you to take it home. Let it help you practice what you've heard today. And the final practical application is this. There's a staying in love marriage event on February the 1st. It's next Saturday. And our Marriage Matters team has planned a fun night for married couples, a night to renew your commitment to each other. And if you have a hunger to stay in love and you want to experience what God has for you in this area, I want to encourage you to sign up. Some of you need a date night that could really give you some momentum in loving each other. Uh, This might just be exactly what you need. So that might be part of your response today. But let's pray together. Father God, we so want to believe that we can fall in love and stay in love forever. And Lord, we are so thankful that you demonstrated how that's possible. Thank you for showing us how to love. Will you grow the desire in our hearts to love others like you love us? Will you overwhelm us 
with your love this morning? Will you remind us how deep your love is for us? Will you remind us of how you have chosen to forgive us? Will you teach us to trust in you? Will you teach us to trust your way of loving more than just our downward cycle that we protect ourselves? Would you make our hearts tender so that we can submit to you? Would you make our hearts tender so that we can submit to your plan for love so that we can stay in love forever? God, would you bless the marriages of our church? Would you help our marriages to demonstrate your love in such a tangible and practical way as that that the world looks and they say, I, I see Jesus. I see something supernatural in the way you love each other. God, would you do a supernatural work in us that we know is impossible without you? And would you teach us how to love? And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.